Hi, folks. Keith Jones here. You're fixing to listen to Front Row Knowles on the podcast. But before we get started, we want to thank the Champions Club and specifically Seminole Boosters for sponsoring our podcast that allows us to bring the podcast to you commercial-free. You know, we are one tribe. We are unconquered. In the last uh, few years, Florida State has built a tradition of excellence. But right now, all of us that are Seminoles are facing a challenge. We've got 20 sports programs, all the coaches, student athletes that are involved. We've got some budget cuts that we're trying to uh, work through due to the pandemic. And right now, we need you. In order to provide all of our teams and student athletes with the best possible opportunity for success, we need your help. We need you to join Seminole Boosters. We need you to renew your membership. We need you to increase your contribution. We need you to consider making a gift. We don't talk heavy-handed like this much, but this is the time to be a little heavy-handed. Help us out. Help Florida State out. Help Florida State boosters out. And most of all, we want to continue to thank the boosters and specifically the Champions Club for sponsoring us and bringing Front Row Knowles to you. Stay tuned and listen. Thanks. Broadcasting live from the Prime Meridian Bank Studios in the capital city of Tallahassee, this is Front Row Knowles with Tom Block and Keith Jones. Front Row Knowles is brought to you by Cornerstone Tool and Fastener, online at ctf.nu. Now, here's Tom and Keith. Good day, everybody. Tom and KJ back with you. This is Front Row Knowles. Keith, for a lack of product on the field, uh, we are not lacking for continued news about Florida State football and Florida State athletics. How are you, sir? I'm doing well. I'm doing well, and you're exactly right. We spent the entire summer begging for some information, and we've spent the last four or five days almost getting daily, sometimes even twice a day updates on what's going on. So let's start with the announcement yesterday that Florida State is getting two football games back. I would say that's very good news. Certainly when one of them is a home game, it means you get some revenue back. Ideally, you would have gotten two, but there's a lot of factors that go into it. So as much as I banged on the league last week for not being very proactive, not proactive at all for how they handled the FSU-Clemson situation, and frankly, I still think that's true. Didn't see a lot of leadership there. I do think they did a nice job with at least trying to take care of everybody in the league. Those who wanted to still play are going to get an opportunity. Those who didn't want to play, i.e. Clemson and Notre Dame, are going to get a bye week. So I think they made a lot of parties happy with what they did in terms of the schedule announcement. And I think, candidly, Florida State should be happy because while you would love to have Clemson come back and play a home game, you obviously, from a competitive standpoint, knew that, that it wasn't going to be a likely favorable outcome. And no, no disrespect to Wake Forest, but, you know, this time last week or about Thursday or Friday of last week, we weren't even considering – or actually Saturday or Sunday of last week, we weren't even considering Wake because they were already scheduled to play. And when that opened up, I really think that this is a little bit advantageous to FSU – the other thing that they did, uh, which speaks to your issue about being proactive, is uh, you heard, obviously, Dabo go off on the things that he did because Clemson had traveled and had to turn around and go home. And then Mendenhall was much more uh, mature in his frustration. But he did point out that, you know, maybe it needs to be relooked about this Friday testing. And as part of the schedule announcement, they are going to go to Thursday testing so in theory, and I think in practice, a visiting team will know what the situation is prior to getting on an airplane or a bus and going somewhere. 
Well, and that was another point I was going to get to. So, and good on the league for making that change. We advocated last week that even though there's just three weeks in the season, you can make that change now if the science indicates that it's a sound decision to make. And they went ahead and made it. Again, I still don't forgive the ACC for sort of leaving Florida State there on an island and certainly not for censuring Dabo, but we've turned the page on that. Uh, The way last week unfolded, different situation entirely. Florida State, as we talked about in our Sunday show or our first look show, they had somebody at one position test positive and through contact tracing, that whole segment group got wiped out. So it's not even a matter of, well, they had 44 guys they should be able to play. They didn't have anybody at one position in particular. And if you start doing math, whether it's the defensive line or the offensive line or the secondary, if you don't have anybody there, um, it's not going to be a real good result. You can't play the game. Ask, um, the, uh, ask the Denver Broncos how that works out. Yeah, exactly right. So if it can happen to the NFL, certainly it can happen at the collegiate level. Well, to that point, you know, as we're recording, I think they're still playing an NFL game today, even though the Ravens are significantly shorthanded. Correct. But um, so going back to the schedule, Keith, the, the the Clemson home game, you wanted to play it because it was roughly $2 million in revenue. Correct. But even if they were playing Clemson again sometime in December, it's no longer $2 million in revenue because people put that date on their calendar when the schedule comes out. And so now to ask them to change their plans on two weeks' notice, not everybody can do that. So even if you were hosting Clemson again, you wouldn't replace $2 million. You might replace... 1.2. I'm making up numbers here, but the attendance wouldn't be as high. You get the point I'm making. Well, so. I, well, only I would disagree with you because what that would mean is that some local folks that maybe didn't have access to tickets might get access to tickets. It would just be very difficult for our local businesses because there probably most likely wouldn't be as many people training because you still want to come see the team that's going to be in the playoffs. I would think maybe you're right. Maybe I'm right. Maybe it's somewhere in between. Yeah. And I think that's probably where it is. You know, there's merit to, to what we're both saying here. Um, but so you do get one home game back. I think that's good. You know, we talked weeks ago about the need or the want to have a bowl game because you get the extra practice. Well, the reality is now FSU is going to practice right up until December 19th. And if you think about it, normally in a normal year, FSU plays Florida the Saturday after Thanksgiving, and then they take two weeks off because it's the final two weeks of the semester. And they start again for bowl practice plus or minus December 10th or 12th. Well, FSU didn't take two weeks off, so they will have gotten the same amount of practice, especially with an earlier preseason. And I think, you know, by the time you get to December 19th, and again, a bowl's not in the mix for FSU this year. By the time you get to December 19th, it will be time to take a break and let everybody go clear their head and clear their aches and start again whenever that date is in January. Well, again, not to disagree with you, but just add another layer to it. But... You're very disagreeing today. Uh, But what if Florida State beats Duke and beats Wake and is sitting there at four and six and is number eight or nine in the pecking order for a bowl game that gets played on December 27th somewhere in the state of Florida? I don't know. I I haven't even processed how I might – if I were asked, I, I haven't even thought about how I might answer the question, would, would you or would you not do that? I think you're right. I think by the time the 19th rolls around, this particular edition of Florida State football will be ready for a break because it has been a very long and a very up and down season. But, you know, Florida State is a brand. And if you're going to take teams with losing records, you know, I might be inclined to do that if I'm a bowl game that's not going to see Florida State for the next 30 years, possibly. 
Just a thought. I think the more interesting part of that, and now these are big ifs because FSU would have to beat Duke and Wake Forest. Agreed. But if they got to four and six and you've won two in a row to either close the season or set up a bowl, as you're pointing out, uh, you might look back and suggest that had Jordan Travis been the starting quarterback against Georgia Tech, it would have been a five and five season. And and all of a sudden, how does that change our perception as we look back at, despite all the issues that have unfolded and there's opt-outs to discuss, we'll do with Bob Franti. But if you get to four and six, you can start asking that question and saying, well, now those are, again, big if. Well, you want me to take you back about 44 years? Sure. I had a conversation yesterday with my good friend, you know him as well, Kurt Unglob. And he was invited in to speak to the team along with Derek Brooks uh, prior to the supposed game against Virginia. And Kurt brought up a very interesting thing. And uh, my conversation with him yesterday, it really intrigued me. He said, he, t- he asked the, the team, he says, you're, you're two and six. And they, you know, you know, they are, that's a fact. He says, well, I played on the last team that was two and six. And that was coach Bowden's first year in 1976. And they run, won the next three and went 10 and two the next season. Now, again, that's revisionist, not revision, that's reliving history. But I thought that was very perceptive on Kurt's part that, yeah, you can, even with only two games remaining or three games if you have a bowl, you can start building some momentum and it starts right now to do that. Yeah, I think momentum would be key. You're going in. So, by the way, the early signing period is December 16th. So it's between those two games and Florida State has lost some more commits and is losing traction there. Uh, It just feels like it's been one body blow, one gut punch after another here, Keith really about since early March when this whole thing started, but but certainly over the summer and into the fall. Here's what we're going to do on today's show, by the way. Bob Franti, our Osceola Insider, will join us later. We'll ask him about some of the opt-out news, LaDamian Webb, Jaden Lars Woodby. He'll have the latest. Mike Norvell met the media today for the first time since last week. I hosted his coach's show on Monday, so I had a chance to talk to him, but today's the first chance that the media's had, and so uh, Bob will provide some reaction to that. Um also, Jerry Kutz from the Osceola. We're going to be heavy on our Osceola insiders today is going to join us. We, we haven't had a chance yet to catch up with Jerry about the uh, extensive, lengthy article that ESPN penned, Andrea Adelson, who we had on the show last week, and David Hale, about sort of how did, you know, really the basic question is how did FSU get to this predicament or this position in football? And it looks at the end of the Jimbo era and all that. Um, so we'll, we'll, we'll get Jerry's reaction to that. And, and, and how does FSU move forward is maybe the better part of that. Is that a fair characterization, Keith? Well, I think we agreed that, uh, Andrea and David's article was very well done as with anything, particularly of that length, anyone could take, uh, uh, a bridge, if that's the right word, uh, with a couple of things that are in there. And I know, cause we've talked with Jerry that he has uh, some clarification on some things. So it's not like we think the article was wrong. It's just there's some tidbits in there to add to it. Uh, And I think it's going to be a very interesting conversation because I think people that have followed Florida State for a period of time appreciated that that reminder of what has happened and will further appreciate uh, Jerry's clarification on a couple, three of the issues. I think that makes perfect sense. All right, we'll do this. We'll take our first break. We'll come back and continue with Front Row Knowles right after this. Front Row Knowles. 
Bills on 97.9 ESPN Radio is presented by Hobson Chevrolet of Cairo, Georgia. Get your best deal the Hobson way. Now, back to Tom and Keith. Back on Front Row Knowles, Tom and KJ with you. Time to open up the Earl Bacon Agency hotline, the Earl Bacon Agency, ensuring your future together. We say hello to a longtime good friend, Jerry Kutz, friend of the program, friend in general, who uh, founder and administrator of the Osceola and its rebirth. Hey, Jerry, how are you? Great, Tom. Good to see you. Good to good. see you and KJ. Yeah, good Good to be with you. should point out, and, and Seminole fans know this, but uh, also in between your stints at the Osceola, vice president at Seminole Boosters. And uh, we wanted to have you on the show, you know, given the, the game cancellations or postponements of recent weeks, we, we delayed this. So it, it's not an immediate reaction to the article that was penned by David Hale and Andrea, Andrea Adelson. But I think our listeners are familiar with the lengthy story that was on ESPN that address the end of the Jimbo era and the Taggart era and Mike Norvell and sort of how FSU got here. So um, as a starting point for you, Jerry, I know you, you, you wrote a very interesting column as you always do for the Osceola and it wasn't a rebuttal. It was just adding some more nuance to it. And, and maybe one of the overarching questions as a starting point is what that article identified is that, you know, at times there hasn't been a common shared vision uh, for FSU across all entities, whether that's Westcott athletics department, boosters, head coach, and, and that's pretty significant as as FSU has succeeded in the past and as it moves forward. So I'll let you jump in from there and react to that. Yeah, well, first let me, let me say this. I think uh, Adelson and Hale did a commendable job of doing a lot of interviewing, getting a lot of people's perspectives on, you know, about a six-year period of Florida State's history. So by no means was I rebutting them. Uh, but I uh, – you know, you have different perspectives. Uh, I, I equated it to marriage counseling. The facts are the same, but it depends on the uh, 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 each spouse's perspective of the of the of those facts. So, um, but to your point, I thought the most important thing the ESPN article did was talk about the importance of a common vision at the university between the president, the AD, the head coach, and the boosters. Um, And at that point in time, they identified that there was not a common vision. So, yeah, I I thought that was really significant. And one more thing in the article that I I thought maybe got lost, uh, but is the question of uh, can FSU be – a, a program that is uh, seeking comprehensive excellence in all sports, or is it a program that based upon funding and other things really, and, you know, fan interest maybe is a, a football first where you fund, make sure you have football funded and let the other sports feed in their wake. And, I thought those two questions were re- really relevant in the story. Well, and they're relevant as Florida State moves forward with a presidential search ongoing to know how the new leader may see that. We'll have a new AD at some point. I think, and, and I, I don't want to dive too deep on this, Jerry, but it's a fundamental question. And in the article, it was sort of attributed to maybe Sandy Dallenbert and the Dave Hart era is when you heard the comprehensive excellence term. But I really think the fact that it was Florida State College of Women for a number of years, and that's still built into the fabric of the university, 
that there that's been part of the push too and the reason the culture has evolved into such excellence in sports on the women's side I, I don't know if you agree with that or not but I think that's part of it that that that's just it's just in the underlying fabric of FSU well I agree 100 percent um yeah yes true uh, we've had sports here at Florida State long before we were a men's institution. And, of course, as you know, before FSCW, we were a men's institution and have won state championships in football back in, like, 1902. So, but, you know, the point there, Tom, I think is this, and I didn't go looking for this, but I found it. After I read that article, it got me to thinking. And I went back and I, you know, Shared vision. There has been times we have had a shared vision at Florida State that was consistent from the president on down. And as I went back, and I started in 1982, and at that time it was Bernie, Bobby, uh, Bernie Slager, of course, Bobby Bowden. Um, Hootie Ingram was the AD when I first started Osceola, and Andy Miller, of course, was the president of the Boosters. And we were football first back then. You know, and everything else took a, a backseat. And then to your point, when Dave Hart, when Sandy D'Allenberg became president, he had a, a, a broader vision. And I think part of it was driven by our history of a, being a FSCW, which he well remembered. And, and, uh, and part of it, I think, was driven a little bit by Title IX, too. And... Uh, any rate, Dave Hart's vision was more comprehensive excellence. He and Sandy shared that. And um, as you recall, Coach Bowden didn't. Um, and Coach Bowden was not happy when Dave Hart got named president. He wanted Steve Sloan, who was a football guy. So at that point in time, our vision was not shared. Uh, Dave Hart did a great job of selling the vision to the boosters, he put them on plane and flew them and showed them facilities all around the country where we were short, not just in our other sports, but in football too. And uh, the boosters got committed, raised a lot of money. We built the university center complex. Coach Bowden wanted an 80,000 seat stadium in order to compete with SEC recruiting. And he got that. He got the Moore Athletic Center, and a lot of football buildings were built uh, along with soccer softball complex, track building, that all led to national championships in those sports. So at that moment in time, the everybody was on the same page. And Bobby got you know to where he wasn't opposed to it by any means. And we had a, a common vision. Uh, and then you change presidents. And as you know, Tom, you've been in the university long enough to know this. Uh, we all serve at the leisure of the president. So every time we've gotten a new president, the potential for a different vision happens. And it's not anybody's fault. It's just the nature of a university. And so... Uh, I just found that interesting. Every president we've had has had a different kind of vision. And oftentimes what happens is he'll change ADs as TK did and, uh, and Eric Barron did. And, uh, and so now we're getting ready to hire a president. 
And I think our fans should really pay attention to that because the type of president that our board of trustees choose will determine the vision for our university. And part of which is athletics. And the other thing that's really important is Dave, David Coburn is uh, up for, uh, you know, David's, you know, going to retire here and whenever it suits the university. And uh, so this new president will likely choose uh, the next AD as well. Gary, isn't it interesting, as big as Florida State is, as old as it is from our perspective, it still comes down to people and personalities. And one of the things that the article pointed out, and you have mentioned indirectly, is one of Bobby Bowden's traits, one of his personalities, is he'll fight for something, but then if it doesn't go his way, he forgets about it. But unfortunately, one of of Jimbo's personality traits is he'll fight for something until he gets it. It never goes away. And that kind of led to some issues as well in terms of just appreciating that overall excellence. Yeah. Yes, Keith, that's, that's definitely true. And, you know, we'll probably never have another Bobby Bowden. Um, Coach Bowden had an ability to uh, convey his ideas quietly. I mean, he didn't politic things. You know, he, he worked through his athletic director, and if he couldn't get the result there he wanted, maybe he'd have a conversation with the president that nobody ever knew about. But he had a, a, a salesmanship, a way about him that he could convince you that, they, you know, he would just say to you, hey, can you help me, buddy? And <laughs> everybody wanted to help him. And it, But that we, you know, you can't count on having – uh, a coach like that always. And that's not a slide on Jimbo. Not at all. Not at all. That's just, uh, it's, that's why I said these, these writers did a heck of a job of trying to uh, uh, not point fingers at any one person, which I think is totally uh, lacks intellectual intelligence. Not, nothing is ever as simple as one thing. It's usually complicated by personalities and relationships. So they did. I thought they did a commendable job. The only thing I, I you know, I pick at a few things I'd parse. Uh, one paragraph in there that I took a little offense to uh, on behalf of Andy Miller was the, the thing about the kids first fun. Uh, you know, Andy has two sons of his own. And I think that kind of stung Andy. It did me. And, uh, you know, when when Ethan got diagnosed, we all felt bad. I mean, I have a son, I have two sons, and I just can't even imagine. I mean, we were very empathetic with that. And as Tom Block knows, at the university, there's policies that you can't just go promote every charity. Uh, The university doesn't allow it, and they require us to if we're going to promote something, it's United Way who d- divides it up among, you know, the charities that are in United Way. So we did what we could do. I was the marketing communications guy, and we ran ads for the kids first. We had kids first at, you know, on the spring booster tour that Jim Jimbo speaks at. We had we had material there, and 
we did more really than what the university. I mean, I think they kind of turned a blind eye to the things we were doing. So that was one one aspect that uh, I, I took a hair on my neck, kind of stood up when I read that. But yeah. I think another, and, and I, I had to learn about it as well, but I think another thing that Jimbo misperceived was College Town and, and where yes. those monies came from and what College Town was intended to do. He looked over there and saw things being constructed and wondered why his thing couldn't be constructed. Yes. And Keith, as you know, having been a former football player, football coaches, uh, they have a sense of urgency. There's a scoreboard and a clock, you know, so they're, they're high sense of urgency. And uh, in that, I'm going to get to your question, but I wanted to fold another one in and kill two birds with one stone. And that's the question that was raised uh, about seminal boosters or Andy Miller in particular controlling the purse strings. And, you know, the university center complex was Andy's vision many years ago, 20 years ago. And then College Town was another Andy Miller vision. And Jimbo had to drive by that thing every day on his way to work. Later, it was the stadium renovation and Champions Club. And he he did. He, he really questioned, how can we be building things like College Town and not the football operations building that he wanted. And the answer is kind of complex if you don't uh, pay attention. <laughs> but it was that College Town was land donated for the purposes of the scholarship endowment. And rather than sell it, they developed it. And, they, and the money that was invested in College Town simply was money that could not be used for the football operations building. It was money that people, some of it was money people invested and didn't donate. It was, a, they, they were getting a return on investment with College Town. Other monies, which is what is complicated, was an investment of the endowed scholarship fund. So when people, pledge money for scholarships, it's a contract with the university. And the money has to be either used to fund scholarships or invested in stock market or real estate that generates income for scholarships. And you can't co-mingle that money. So the investment group that manages the scholarship endowment saw that College Town was paying 8% interest on, on investments and said, we want a little bit of that action. And so they invested some of the uh, scholarship endowment money into College Town, and it spun off $960,000 a year in interest to scholarships. So you know, trying to explain that to a football coach who has a set, you know, the clock is ticking on his scoreboard. Um, Jimbo is certainly smart enough to understand it. Coach Bowden would be smart enough to understand it, but it just, it isn't really what they wanted to hear, you know. 
And so uh, I, I, I felt like that was something that Jimbo, it, it, it had been explained to him several times, but it, it just, I think it was a thorn in his side. I think he just uh, had, a, had a hard time wrapping his head around that. Well, I think Jerry and Jerry joins us via the Earl Bacon Agency hotline, the Earl Bacon Agency, ensuring your future together. I think there's just a common misperception about endowments, Jerry. There's what you said, that the dollars are restricted and how you can spend them to donor intent. But there's also that, uh, you know, what you what you can spend or what, what you get back to spend is the earnings, not not the corpus. So if it's a hundred thousand dollar gift, that might spin off four thousand a year that you can use to pay scholarships. That's not one hundred and four thousand that you can spend that year because it, you'd no longer have any dollars in the right. endowment. Um, I, I don't want to dive deeper on that, but as we as we wrap up, Jerry, what else would you like to add either about the article or about how Florida State moves forward? Because I think we all know and realize that this is, you know, there's not a quick fix to get from where FSU is now to where it wants to be. But that said, it is doable. FSU's done it before. Well, absolutely. And uh, I talk about uh, one of the things I took away from that article that I, I, I was uh, concerned about was that it kind of left some people thinking that FSU doesn't have the support it needs to be successful. And I disagree with that. I think uh, even in this pandemic right now, well, we, we're getting great support from fans. I mean, and, and when you look at uh, national statistics, I mean, during Fisher's era, he, he had the, the largest budget in the ACC for football. It was, I think, seventh in the country. Uh, our revenues last year were 12th in the nation. Now, we're still $60 million shy of what a school like Texas A&M has. We generate about $150 million. They generate 210 But the reality is you can get by on what, what we generate in revenue. So I don't want any of our fans to think that, you know, we, we can't, we don't have the sport to make it happen. I think we have plenty of sport. Um, we've typically, Tom, I told, I said this to you before, but I think Florida State has done more with less than any other school I can think of. Um, and I think it's because there's great talent in Florida, in the state of Florida. Um, I think that whatever your budget is, if you're the head football coach, you might have to get in your car and go look at the prospect rather than fly a helicopter. But, I mean, there's a lot of talent here. And that's not true in a state like South Carolina or many other states. So I, I, I think we have all the resources we need to be successful here at Florida State. We have a growing fan base. And uh, I, I'm bullish on the future for Florida State. So I hope nobody – uh, feels like, oh, this this is a desperate situation. It, it's a challenging one, but by, by no means is it desperate when you have talent. Jerry, great perspective as always. I'll remind our listeners, and many are familiar with your work, but uh, if you're not familiar with the Osceola or you're not a uh, subscriber, go ahead and subscribe. Go to theosceola.com. It's six ninety five a month. Uh, which, Keith, that's what you spend daily on your Frappuccino, latte, whatever you get, right? Isn't it something like that? No, I get two double cheeseburgers. Uh, true. 
True. So, so a monthly subscription to the Osceola is actually less than that. Uh, you get the point, folks. Jerry, thanks uh, as always, and uh, we'll, we'll see you in Garnet and Gold somewhere. All right. Thank you, man. Thanks, Enjoy. Jerry. Talk to you later. Jerry Kutz. We'll continue uh, with our Osceola insiders next because Bob Ferranti has been in the on-deck circle, and uh, we'll get back to on-the-field football-related questions right after this on Front Row Knowles. Front Row Knowles is brought to you by the Osceola, dedicated to FSU sports and fan experiences. Sign up for a free trial at theosceola.com or call 833-FSU-NEWS. Welcome back to Front Row Knowles. We continue. Uh, it's, it's an Osceola car wash today, but to be fair, we didn't have one of our Osceola insiders last week as we talked to Andrea Adelson from uh, ESPN. So Bob Ferrante joins us now. Hey, Bob, how are you? Doing well. How are you guys? Good. We, uh, we just uh, talked to your boss. He had, he had plenty of good things to say. So, I mean, you can judge for yourself when you, when you listen back, but um, he said, you can go ahead and the vacation times approved FYI. Uh, let's talk Mike Norvell met the media for the first time today uh, since before the, the postponed Virginia game now canceled Virginia game. Uh, what, what did you glean from it? What was the takeaway? I guess related just to the craziness of not playing for so many weeks, but the fact that FSU did get two games back. Yeah, I think there was a determination that they were going to play football. And it's unfortunate from, you know, Virginia being canceled Saturday morning, back-to-back weeks of that happening on game day. And then Sunday night, really late Sunday night, the Duke game being shelved. I think a lot of Florida State fans immediately thought, is that it? Is it all over? And, you know, to coach Mike Norvell, to the administrators, I know Norvell mentioned it, you know, to you on, on the coaches show, Tom, but, you know, there was, there was a sense they were going to play they were all intentions were going to move forward. So, you know, it, it is a crazy time. We have a lot of players, you know, deciding what's best for their future opt outs, transfers and such. But, you know, I think Norvell is trying to stay as positive as possible and pass on that message where the guys who, want to be there and are able to, if they're not in quarantine, they're on the practice field and, and they know they've got an opponent coming up. So to have that focus, I, I think the team needed that and now has it. Now, Bob, two additional names. I'm sure most of our listeners will be familiar with them, but uh, Ladanium Webb is, is uh, opting out. Although there was another, I think story that he would be back for the spring, but then uh, Jaden Lars would be, is going to transfer. And according to one report I read, that makes 20, and by some counts, 21 kids that have left the program since Norval arrived in December. While that obviously is a cause of concern, you need bodies, but is it a huge issue or is it just part of the natural process of a, of a more demonstrative coach coming into the program and, and asking of, uh, of players? I think it's yes to all of the above. Going back doing some research last week, um, you know, Bronco Mendenhall, he he lost about 15 to 20 players when he arrived. This just happens. It's part of the rebuilding. And now with the transfer portal, it's easier to move. And then in January with the NCAA legislation loosening, it's even easier without penalty to move. So part of it is going to be purely the grass is greener. Uh, 
um, or, or so the perception of the player thinks the grass is greener elsewhere. Um, and yeah, part of it is Norvell's tougher and he's, he's making players go to class. He's demanding on and off the field. And, you know, Norvell's recruiting speech of, you know, you don't want to come here because you're going to work harder for me than probably anybody in the country. Well, it's just not going to work out for some guys. Um, Jaden Lars would be, is a, is a different case. I think the guy is a hard worker, came back from an injury. He's going to graduate at 20 years old um, with a very rigorous international affairs major. He knows he can speak multiple languages fluently when I struggle at just one. So this is a guy who I, I think we have to applaud and he's kind of the exception here, but the roster turnover is just part of the new normal. Yeah, it's definitely interesting times, but it makes sense when you think about it, Bob. I mean, if a boss changes, some people like the new boss better. Some don't like him or her as much and, and they move on. And, and some of it might not be personality related. Some of it can be scheme related. You know, I came in because I thought we were going to feature the tight end heavily. And, and, you know, and now we're not going to do that. I'm not speaking to Norvell. I'm just saying in general, whatever position you play or, uh, you know, a new coaching staff might like player A better than player B for a certain position. So that's all kind of part of it. I, I know Keith and I talked to Joe Zagaki, a co- you know, a couple times a year and Keith, you recall for several years, and I think this was after Rick arrived, he talked about how Miami's roster was at 75 guys forever. Now they had some NCAA issues, but you know, there were, there were 15 or 20 folks that, that were asked to move along too when they had coaching transition. So it's just part of the process. I say asked to move along. They might've moved along on their own, but you get the point. Yeah. And, and a lot of this, I, I think a lot of us are starting to discuss that, that 2018 Florida state signing class. That was a transition class between Jimbo and Willie Taggart's arrival. He only had a couple of weeks to assemble that group. And I looked at it this morning where, you know, with the announcement that, that Jaden made and you look through there's 21 guys, well, roughly half of them are now gone, either transferring. Um, they've had a medical DQ. They just weren't able to play football anymore. It, it's names beyond Jaden Lars would be it's, you know, it's AJ Litton. It's Treshawn Harrison, Xavier Peters, Malcolm Lamar, Isaiah Bolden. These are, I, I'm still naming four-star guys here, Christian Meadows. It's a lot of guys who could be impactful, but they've chosen to go elsewhere. It wasn't the right fit. This happens. It's unfortunate with these these transition signing classes. It's unfortunate where you've got, you know, three coaches in four years. It happens. It's part of the growing pains, and it's reflective with the performances on the field on Saturdays. But you know, to Norvell's point, you roll with the guys who are committed to the long-term vision, and that's what he's trying to do. I think the biggest part of the equation here, and we just talked with Jerry about Florida State's predicament, the early signing period starting the year that FSU transitioned from Jimbo to Taggart and then changing coaches again. I mean, so far we've had three early signing periods and Florida State has changed coaches twice. The only school in the country that's done that. And I think that's the biggest issue FSU has right now. But let me ask this, and Keith, you want, you, you'll want to weigh in on this. You know, a lot of these guys that are moving on now, for whatever reason, uh, Webb would be an exception because he committed to Norvell. But they committed to a program that was going to the Orange Bowl or was a 10-win program. Whoever you sign right now, they've heard the pitch. They're signing up to grab a shovel and jump in the ditch and start digging your way out of it. 
And, you know, they know the program is a two win or a three win or maybe a four win team. So it's a different kind of mentality and mindset, even if it's not as high a caliber star ranking of what FSU is going to sign now for this year. I think that's probably the most significant part of Norvell's pitch to the recruits. You know, the way Jimbo sold the program, to even to a degree, the way Willie could sell the program is much different than how Mike is selling the program. Um, and, and the kids that you're going to bring in, not 100% sure, but as a general rule, are going to be developmental kids. You know, you're probably not going to be high on the list of all the five stars and four stars. But Coach Bowden made a made a, a legacy, made a dynasty out of bringing in mid-level kids. You know, just think about the quarterback position. You know, there was a 10 or 12 or 14-year period where you didn't start as a quarterback at Florida State until you were a redshirt junior. So you're going to sit for three years before you even got a chance to play. You can do a lot of development in three years. And I think you're exactly right, Bob. I'd be interested in your comment, but I think you're going to get a different attitude of kid as well as a developmental type need amongst your staff. Yeah, I kind of cheated there because I wanted to hear what what you thought first. I'm glad you brought up developmental because I think that's the Mike Norvell MO from Memphis is he takes guys who, you know, went Juco, maybe they were a three-star this or that. Um, I recall talking with uh, Chris Claybrooks, who was a Juco receiver that, um, that Memphis landed as a walk-on through their walk-on tryouts, became a starting defensive back for them and was drafted by the Jaguars late, you know, sixth or seventh round. And I know everyone's, everybody's going to say, well, Florida State needs five stars and four stars. I, I totally get that. But right now, especially with with the pandemic shutting down access to going out to recruit and meet people face-to-face, you're going to have to use the relationships that you have to get the guys who want to be here, who are hungry. And yeah, if those are developmental guys, then so be it. They're developmental guys. And Norvell has hired coaches and been a guy himself who's done a good job at identifying talent and developing them into starters and productive players and like, like it always says, you know, once those guys are, are shown that Florida State can develop you as a person and a player and you're going to get to the NFL, then you'll eventually start to get the fours and fives. Yeah, that's, that's what I see the path as. It's, it's just not going to be a quick return. Bob, Keith and I were talking about it. There's always nuance to recruiting and how many kids you can sign. And, you know, there's an 85 limit on the overall roster and you can sign 25 in a year, but then – we, we, meaning if you're not inside the, the world of compliance and all that, it seems like sometimes you're counting kids backwards. Sometimes you're counting kids forward. Now we're going to have a free-for-all in the transfer market. Is there opportunity to sign more than 25 when you combine high school and transfers this year? Do we, know, do we have clarity on that at all? From what we understand, it is purely 25 between high school, junior college, and transfer portal. So that's kind of a bummer because you're going to see a lot of roster turnover. However, the benefit that the NCAA is going to allow a loophole where seniors in 2020 can come back in football in 2021, and they will not be counted toward that 85 scholarship limit. So if you start to look at the seniors, there's a couple who you know are are probably going to move on in life, 
into football. And there's a couple who you might really want back. There's a few of them. Throw out a couple examples. Devontae Love-Taylor, the grad transfer. Mike Norvell has said he'd like to have him back, and, and Love-Taylor is, is clearly thinking about it. Miko Dotson, the cornerback, who's been injured throughout the year. Does he get, does he want that chance to come back and really show what he can do? So those are just two guys. It's almost like you've got 87 scholarships all of a sudden. The question, of course, is you have to fund those scholarships, but FSU fans and boosters will step up and do that. So there is a little bit of leeway there, but as far as bringing in an expanded high school class or, you know, purely going all in on the transfer portal, you're very limited. Bob, what else did Coach Norvell uh, get asked about today? And, and I'm thinking in this context, so if, if guys went into quarantine on Friday night and missed the Virginia game, uh, under the 14-day quarantine, they wouldn't come out of quarantine until December 11th. So they're available to play the game on the 12th, but they haven't practiced, at least not with a team, for two weeks. And, and the nuance to that is, as I look, I think the CDC just officially changed the quarantine rules today and shortened them. So do we know if the ACC is going to adjust? Or really what I'm asking is, do we know when FSU will have any of these guys back at practice, or are they literally showing up on game day? And here you go, you haven't played in two weeks, but you're playing today's game against Duke. I think that's the big undetermined question is, well, first off, I do think the ACC will follow the CDC's guidance. That's what the committee has, has advised the ACC on so far. So those, those rulings will likely change, whether it's today or, or not, we'll, we'll get an update. Well, that, that's significant, though, because yes. that means those players are missing a bye week, but they would be back for game week prep next week. Right. And, and then the next question is, when will they be available to practice? Will it be as early as Tuesday or Wednesday will be as late as Thursday or Friday. And, and this is tough. If you're a younger player, you can't just roll out there on Saturday, not having practice time. If you're a veteran, well, maybe you you've known what to do and you've been able to, to work out in your room or, or on your own somehow. And, and maybe you are mentally and physically ready to jump out there. So there are a lot of big questions. We don't know how many players are out there currently practicing for Florida State, and we just won't know how many will be available for the Duke game until literally we show up at the stadium and find out. It's it's crazy. It's all part of 2020. But I, I think Mike Norvell is confident that they're going to have enough. And he was also asked, do you have guys looking at playing both ways, offense and defense? And he, he kind of shrugged it off today. So I think that's encouraging that, you know, he's no longer looking at, my goodness, I have to move a linebacker or running back or vice versa kind of thing. He's sort of thinking, I'm going to have enough guys to go against Duke. Well, the good news is, if there is, that uh, in the announcement that the ACC put out last night, again, we talked about that in the first segment regarding games, et cetera, et cetera, they were willing to adjust their testing protocol. And again, repeating, instead of testing on Friday, getting results back Friday night or Saturday morning, you'll test on Thursday with the purpose being that the traveling team and the home team can know who's available before the traveling team gets on a plane or a bus to head somewhere. So we've seen some flexibility by the ACC in that regard. And I would, I would anticipate, uh, a, you know, coming closer to adopting the CDC guidelines on quarantine and testing uh, and the ability to potentially test out if you don't have any symptoms that might allow players to be available Monday or Tuesday of next week to practice. We'll see. We'll see. Hey, Keith, I'm curious. 
would you have signed up for I'll just play on game days and not have to practice during the week? Uh, that I won't even I will not even dignify that with an answer. The obvious it's absolutely here's That's a four syllable answer. Here's the better question, Keith. Who that you played with would not have liked that because they enjoyed the process and the practice so much. Monk. Monk's the only one that comes to my mind. Yeah. And and even if we hadn't been practicing, he'd have had our butts in there watching film, I can guarantee you. <laughs> <laughs> Bob, as we finish up, anything uh, anything else to add? I mean, Jordan Travis spoke today too. And so I guess one, uh, you know, here's a, here's a silver lining, right? I mean, Jordan Travis has got to be as healthy as he's been since, I don't know, before the North Carolina game. It, it, it'll be a month before he plays between games. Yeah, I feel like it's the obligatory question for Jordan in every interview is how, how are you feeling and, and uh, you know, is it just good to be close to 100% or not? And, and he kind of smiles and he answers it the same way. He, I think he feels good. I think he knows that, um, you know, the rest has been good. And he, he keeps saying, I have to save my body. It, it's his knowledge that he has to take care of himself. And I, I thought he commented smartly today, too, that his focus on the offseason is going to be on getting a little bit bigger being able to take some of those hits, uh, some of those necessary ones. And I think it's also the awareness of knowing when to slide and, uh, and not take those hits too. Gotcha. Bob Frante, our Osceola insider. Appreciate uh, the insight as always, Bob. Uh, are you going to hoops tonight? I would not miss it. First time back to the tuck in a long time. Yeah, we haven't even talked basketball. Keith, we'll do that next segment. Enjoy the game. I'm excited for what Leonard's team has this year and uh, appreciate what you bring to the table every week, Bob. Thanks. Take care. All right, more Front Row Knowles right after this. Front Row Knowles on 97.9 ESPN Radio is presented by Hobson Chevrolet of Cairo, Georgia. Get your best deal the Hobson way. Now, back to Tom and Keith. Thanks to Jerry Kutz and Bob Ferrante from the Osceola for joining us as we roll on with Front Row Knowles. KJ, lots of football talk, lots of nuance there. And, uh, you know, restating our first segment, I'm happy that FSU is getting two games back. I'm happy the ACC changed the protocols. We'll see how they react to the new CDC guidelines. And uh, what I'm really happy about is that men's basketball season starts tonight. I am as well, and not to be overlooked, but the women's team with a big victory last night against the Gators. Uh, and as we are – very, very inclined to say all the time, anytime you can beat the Gators in any sport, including tiddlywinks. It's a good day for Florida State. Uh, I think I read somewhere it's right at eight months since the men's program has played last. And, of course, that includes the fact they've not had, although Leonard kind of insinuated they had a, a couple of exhibition games, you know, maybe against some other players, but not necessarily against a, a, a team like you would normally have. So they've gotten a little bit of action. Obviously, they've scrimmaged against each other. But first time for the 2020-2021 season, uh, you'll get to see the kids in action tonight uh, against uh, North Florida. Tip is at 8 o'clock. So as you're driving in your car to the center while listening to us, tailgate a little while and then go in early. I feel like Scotty Barnes has dominated the conversation, and I want to see him play. But I also want to see, does MJ Walker look like he took – 
the next step. And we can't answer that in one game necessarily, but we might be able to see it in terms of leadership, command, that sort of thing. And I'm also interested in seeing Turk, Raekwon Gray, because by all accounts, he's in the best shape he's been in. And I think he's going to play an awful lot of point guard for FSU and handle the ball, which that's different too, because we're so used to seeing Trent Forrest in that role. Yeah. MJ's issues, Tommy, were, and we talked about this with football, MJ's issues were above the shoulders. You know, he needed to mature. He needed to grow up. He needed to, uh, you know, redefine his work ethic. By no means am I saying that he didn't work hard, but, you know, there's working hard because you have to, and there's working hard because you want to. And uh, so his, his improvement could be dramatic. I think uh, utilizing Turk, as you talked about, and different things, if nothing else, will make the defense go, what in the world's going on? The other guy I'm interested in, actually two guys, is Malik, because I think he's got some, some really big upside, and I think he's a very young, growing player. And then what, what strides did Balsha make? You know, he was, he was um, in need of a little more weight, a little more toughness, uh, the big freshman last year center. Uh, and, and I'm interested in see what his development looks like because there, there are enough pieces and parts there, uh, as we've talked about, that Leonard's club can be very, very good. Very good. Just two to three minutes to go, Keith. Again, I'll, I'll point back to the top of our show. <clears throat> I sort of, uh, you know, we're both in agreement that it's, it's fortuitous for Florida State that they're not playing Clemson, but they do have other games. But but what did you think about the bigger picture about the ACC just not pressuring Clemson or Notre Dame to play those games? Do you think that was a wise decision? Does it just show that they're catering to Clemson? Uh, just just in general. Um, I thought my, – my personal thought was that they were catering to Notre Dame and continuing to put that stick out there uh, in terms of, you know, trying to convince the Irish to become a full-time partner – and at the same time, appeasing Clemson a little bit. Because obviously, if Notre Dame did not have a game before the ACC championship game and the Clemson did, if you thought Dabo went off about spending money on an on a, on a overnight trip for vacation to Tallahassee, wait to see him go off if the ACC made him play before the championship game and the Irish didn't have to. Well, that wouldn't, it wouldn't have happened that they both didn't have to. Um, interestingly, for Florida State fans who get tired of feeling like the outsider because we're not Tobacco Road, as soon as that announcement was made, the Miami papers and the South Florida papers were complaining about the ACC because they, they reduced Miami's chances of making the ACC championship game because one of the paths was for Notre Dame to lose. But they just rele- – they, you know, they took that off the table, and so Miami's chances got slimmer, even though – I, you know, I don't, I don't think Miami was realistically thinking they were going there, but there's that same thought process in South Florida too. And you know, everything that from talking is to perception. Just, everything is perception. Is it not? Yep. Yep. It's all where you stand is based on where you sit, Keith. That's the world we live in. <laughs> <laughs> and what direction you're facing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true too. All right, folks. Well, uh, we're both in a good mood anyway. We've just learned, hopefully you have as well, that it's 2020. Just roll with the punches, even if they're really gut punches. And we've had a lot of those this year. Adaptability and flexibility. Man, am I tired of hearing those two words. Keith, uh, I won't see you this weekend because there's no game to react to, so we won't have a first-look show. But we'll do this as we do every Wednesday, and we'll talk to you folks then. He's Keith. I'm Tom. Thanks for tuning in to Front Row Knowles. Control.